Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. We are excited to have you with us today. We are going to talk about something um, very right-brained, but we're going to bring in some left brain with it. But it is coming out of the development of a therapist, healing others, healing self by, is it Luis Cozzolino or Luis Cozzolino? You know, I don't know. I think it's, I say Luis. I don't know. Yeah, I just say Cozzolino, but this is our... You're being uh, suckered into a a book club with us. This is part one, chapter one, that we're going to use as our structure today, the development of a therapist. Yeah. So we mentioned in a previous episode that we are going to be reading through this book and we encourage folks to pick up the book and read along with us and whatever wonderings or questions you have, we'd love for you to engage with us over email or social media. You're welcome to send an audio clip if you'd like to have it aired on the next episode. Um, But just love to be in community around this book with you all. I think so much of this, the feedback we get around this podcast and part of our intention with it was to gather together kind of across space and time. So we're in Colorado and all of you listening are from a lot of places. That mm-hmm. is really fun to see. Yeah, on the apps. And um, so please let us know your thoughts. And another gathering option that we have coming up in the fall is honoring cellular stories. I'm going to be teaching in Austin um, an expressive deep dive into epigenetics. So epigenetics is really just the the ancestral narratives and stories that are in our cells. And we're not going to be really left brain about it. There's going to be a lot more drawing and sand tray and even some plant-based wonderings and fun. So check out on the website if you'd like a spot for that September 30th. Just continuing to want to gather with you in many different ways, listening, reading together, being in person. I might freak out if people come in person <laughs> and be like, oh, I feel connected to you from before. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think we know it's going to be expressive because it's at Marshall Lyle's workshop. Oh, and yeah. There's just so much opportunity there for yeah. expressive arts. Yeah. This chapter one that we're going to go over, the title of it from the development of a therapist, Healing Others, Healing Self, it's called Science and Poetry. So for those of you that have been following along on this podcast, I get curious about when you hear the phrase science and poetry, what other words or phrases might come up for you? 
when Abby um, read me the title of it, I thought, oh, we're talking about the left and the right brain. (laughs) Integration. Yes. Right. He has a quote from Albert Einstein right at the beginning. It says, all religions, sciences, and arts are branches of the same tree. That's actually really cool because it reminds me of the course that we took with Dan Siegel. Yes. And how like frustrated we were that we're learning about like mathematics and all these other branches. (laughs) Consilience. Yeah, Kelly. (laughs) Oh, I just was like pulling my brain out. But I loved it. I was like, he's right. Yeah. Like we're all just branches of the same tree. It's so important that we're all doing this together. Well, and that was his point of interpersonal neurobiology. It's a framework that holds all these different disciplines that are connected. Yeah, he was saying this isn't a theory or a approach. This is a framework, um, which he defined as very different than maybe cognitive behavior therapy. Yes, right. There's so much room. And and in this um, chapter, one thing that I loved that he was talking about, Cozzolino, was that this ability to mix like the, the poetry, what he calls the poetry of human connection with a scientific mind mm. is what makes a, what he believes is a good psychotherapist. Would you say that's why he then calls us amygdala whispers? Because we have like the science behind what the amygdala is, but we can use poetry in our right brain to whisper to it. I love that. It's just so mysterious. I think there's something really sweet about that phrase and it feels kind of badass too. So instead of like sitting in a chair all day, it feels like, no, I'm an amygdala whisperer. That's kind of going the coffee cup. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's like, (laughs) I'm a social worker and it has that on the coffee cups. Um, or That's like funny. regular therapist and then the unicorn that says like amygdala whisperer. Right. <laughs> and really this first chapter was talking about so much of what we believe in our bones to be true, which is that the connection with your client or that amygdala whisperer, um, like building safety is where not only where we begin, but where we, where we are, mm-hmm. where we stay and land. And I think sometimes we think of like, let's build safety. So then we can do the work. Yeah. And that's not at all what he's talking about here. Um, no, it feels like there's this um, weaving in and out, almost like so, right? Like I'm just mm. imagining like this thread that weaves in and out. It's not like a straight line. Like you would never put like a needle through something and just like straight line it. Right. I don't think at least I'm not a sewer, but yeah. I think it does like <laughs> move in and out. Yeah. I think the other piece that we loved with this first chapter is Abby had sent a podcast over my way from the podcast called On Being, mm-hmm. and it's Krista Tippett. Tippett. Yeah. Um, and she did this interview with it. With, he's a poet, but also like a marine biologist. I have no idea. I'm like, I have David White's book, and he is a freaking scientist. Look yeah. at this. This is the chapter, Science and Poetry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But basically, this chapter was probably written about him. I know, right? <laughs> they probably know each other. They have. As yes. most people <laughs> yes. that we seem to follow know each other. <laughs> yes. But, and what he was talking about, so David White is the guy, mm-hmm. right? What he was talking about was beauty. And when we think about poetry, um, there's so much beauty in that. But one of the things that I loved listening about and this kind of quote that I'm going to botch, but it was, you know, asking a beautiful question often in the most unbeautiful moments is the most disciplined thing yeah. we can do as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much rich content there to talk about. 
But one of the things that comes up for me, and, and tell me if you think this is true, I know I hadn't really said this out loud to you yet, is that we are geared for survival. So we actually are primed to look for what's wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I hear him say it is the most disciplined thing we can do as a human being, I just wonder about that. Like to be able to look and search for the beauty, it does. it is a disciplined practice because that's not the way that we're wired. I would even say hope mm. is different than beauty, but connected in that, but in totally in that same sense of instead of this negativity bias that comes from survival, mm-hmm. it would have to be a disciplined. I think that that's true because of like the, to me, it gets like very spiritual when mm. I think of why bad things happen. And so we have to be disciplined to look for beauty or look for hope. Um, it wouldn't come naturally. Yeah. I think it would be okay for me to share this because it it makes me think like sometimes that hope may come years later or the beauty may come years later. Yeah. I don't know if hope for this story is the right one, but maybe beauty. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've shared on the podcast that my parents had lost a son in the year that I was born. So sometimes I say my parents' son, sometimes I say my brother. There's Mm -hmm. like this kind of weird identity with that. But my dad has really never talked about that. And in visiting him when I was home in May in Arizona, he was able to share, like, you know, I've never said this out loud, but after we lost him, of course there was grief and anguish and all of those things. But at some point it started to settle in like, oh, this is kind of nice to be two two people again without a child. Mm-hmm. And like what it what it's like. And I just, there was something so beautiful to see my dad like say that and yeah. to hold both. Yeah. And that beauty really didn't come until many, many years later. Mm. Um, so even thinking about that with our clients and I think especially with managed care we're like get get the goals met get them out the door and we may need to sit with our clients for a really long time um, to see the beauty or to help them see the beauty I was gonna say because as a therapist I believe this is part of or the core of, or, you know, I don't know. Cause Cozzolino's not here. So I feel like I know the guy and I don't, so he might disagree. It's like the work is with us first. Mm-hmm. So I can't, if I'm aware that I have a client who is so disconnected from hope and from beauty, like as the therapist, we have to hold that first yep. for them to even have the option to come to it similar to regulation. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the transcript of that podcast, like that what you had just said about the questions. David White says, a beautiful question starts to shape your identity as much by asking it as it does by having it answered. You don't have to do anything like about the questioning. You just have to keep asking. Before you know it, you'll find yourself shaping a totally different life, meeting different people, finding conversations that lead you in directions you wouldn't have seen before. And so you're talking about your dad and I'm thinking that's so true because even years later, he he's able to connect to a different question. Like there's still this asking and holding both. Mm-hmm. Like that's a different place than the grief of years yeah. prior. It's making me think about what Bonnie talks about, how important words are. Mm-hmm. And as you were t- saying those kind of words out loud, when I hear the word or say the word out loud, knowing there's a very like stiff, like have my feet kind of in the mud feeling. And then when I heard you say, and then I say out loud questions or mm. questioning, there's like a loosening in my body. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, of course, growth would come yeah, from questions, from curiosity. Right. Like, how do we move from knowing? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. To move from knowing and stuck and rigid, mm -hmm. which I think is how, I mean, the left brain is, does have that quality, like data, and yeah. we can't be without that. You yeah, know, we do need certainly it. we do need it. Yeah. But to, but to stay there or live there, mm. then you lose all connection. And I think of that, like if, if a beautiful question can shape our identity just by the continuing, like asking, mm -hmm. like that's the discipline. So do you have an example? If someone's listening and they're struggling right now, they're mm. like, okay, that all sounds good. Kelly and Abby, and you're connected, but I don't know what that means. Like a beautiful question. Um, do you take that literally? Or is there something in your mind as we're kind of sharing about this? Well, I do use this question and believe it's useful, but I remember the first time it was asked of me and it felt like the most beautiful question that could have been asked. And it was actually in a consultation with Robin Goebel. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what I was sharing with her about, but she said to me, and how could you have possibly known to do anything different? Yeah. And I just was blown away by that. Right. It almost like just it like shined beauty. I was like, of course, yeah, I couldn't mm -hmm. have. Um, and that was many years ago. And I hold that question through and through again when people are telling stories that would maybe not be the most beautiful story mm -hmm. about themselves or others. Um, to me, that's like a really beautiful question to ask somebody. Yeah. In that unbeautiful moment. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And how much room it sounds like that would make for all the beautiful things like hope and compassion and like a totally different direction to mm -hmm. undone some shame. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so much healing with that, especially when you're working with um, adults and some of this stuff that happened when they were children. Like, of course they wouldn't have known how to do anything different. Right. Right. Um, and those were really unbeautiful moments. Yes. So that's the example that comes to mind for me. I wish I had a more tangible, I don't really have one. I think that, it feels more like a felt sense, I guess, of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Isn't there some way, isn't there a connection between like asking a beautiful question literally with your mouth or just having like a beautiful curiosity posture towards your client? Yeah. Like they can feel that. Yes. Like when I'm genuinely curious or I'll hear myself say often like, and how do you know? Mm -hmm. I believe everything you're saying. Tell me how you know, mm -hmm. um, like in your body type mm -hmm. thing or draw, draw how that feels true or. Yes. Um, but being really curious and that is something that Cozzolino comes back to a lot in this chapter is, is curiosity. What does he call it? Authentic curiosity or something lovely. Yeah. Cause I think we have spoke a little bit about this. We did a whole episode on curiosity. Oh, go check go. it out. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we did. Um, yeah, and even at the end, this quote from Rumi, the quieter you become, the more you can hear. There's something about beauty and questions that's, there's a quietness or like a stillness mm -hmm. that comes with that. Yeah. When we were not recording, I was sharing with Abby as we were exploring this topic that it reminded me of when you're sitting and just watching a sunset, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there doesn't need to be any words. There doesn't need to be any like changing or fixing. You're not like reaching out to the sun and tilting it a certain way. Like, <laughs> there's just this feeling that's mm -hmm. there. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about having a second person there. We don't have to talk about 
yeah. what's happening between us. There's just a sense that we both know what we're seeing and feeling. Yeah. And this is the space that we want to be in with our clients. So where are the spaces that you have felt into that yourself is something I would wonder for the listener. Those spaces where someone, like with Robin Goebel, mm-hmm. right, where there's this offering of a beautiful question. You've held that and now you're giving that out. Mm-hmm. That is just such a like organic, authentic rippling. Um, and so we need to find those communities or relationships or I knew I would find a way to talk about this. Okay. So I was reading this thing in this kinship series about lichen, which is like moss, mm. moss-ish, uh, I think. And in this story, what's the name of the book again? Well, it's, it's the fourth volume in this kinship belonging in a world of relations. Mm. I'm, making it my mission to go through it this year slowly. Um, but it's edited by um, Robin Kimmerer, who wrote Braiding, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, oh, which yeah. many people are familiar with. Yeah. And it's just a collection of like poems and short stories and just so beautiful. So this fourth volume is on persons and it's on this, this writer, Andreas Weber, is talking about personhood and plant folk and the rights of plants as persons. And this story is about their um, admiration and wonder about how lichen grows on the stones outside of their writing like apartment. And this writer is talking a lot on what I would call, or clinically I see it as like, oh, that's interdependence or, oh, that's reciprocity. So this is why we keep bringing in nature themes to the podcast because I think we can learn so much. Um, And they say, when we experience beauty, Something in us knows this. Our skin knows. Our breathing chest knows. Our eyes taking in light and radiating light outward with every gaze know. We know that we are part and parcel of the grand exchange and we know that we are family. Um, And they just go on to talk about how lichen use the minerals from the rock to like grow. So they use like the rock's resource to grow and they use the light to grow. And the rock, when I think of a rock, I don't think of it as a being. Rocks specifically, I've been really challenged by this in this reading of like, I don't, I think of a tree as a being. I don't think of a stone as a being. And yet it offers this resource to the lichen and they grow together and they kind of become one. And I thought of us as therapists, like if we're providing this ground or an anchoring or a tethering for the client to use our resource and grow, there is this kind of beautiful, there's something really beautiful about the observer to that relationship, Mm -hmm. like this author, and then the interdependence between the two. Does that make any sense as I'm trying to put words to it? Yeah, I'm actually having this visualization (laughs) of lichen growing on me and then like growing on the client. We're both just like under this like, umbrella roof of lichen (laughs) right like it's just but there's something about and then you're talking about weaving and the use of resources like what you have to offer there's something beautiful in the offering or the asking Mm -hmm. i'm talking about asking a beautiful question the client will use it even if you don't see it it will be used Mm -hmm. and then there's something that i have to believe a stone would benefit from 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 being like a home to the lichen there's something there Well, we've talked about in other episodes, giving away creates more space for things. Yeah, the more I give away, the more I have, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening for the rock. 
Yeah. And just then like the sense of, um, when we see beauty, something in us knows this, like the way they write about my skin knows my chest knows my, yeah. um, and I was telling Kelly before we, uh, recorded this, when I see a client, the first thing that comes to me when I think of beauty in the therapy room is when I see a client in deep grief for mm-hmm. some reason, there's just something so, and I don't mean pretty. It's more like there's something so deep and honest and and raw and vulnerable to bear witness to that type of belly grief like quite beautiful you're seeing somebody at their most authentic core yeah that that must be it there's just something so specific about that moment of being let in Mm -hmm. to be with in that moment that is that feels like beauty and there's more room together Mm -hmm. and it and just like what you were reading and when you witness that you can feel it in your belly and your heart and Right. Yeah. You know, I think about a video I had seen on social media with this kid that had no arms and they were in the gym and there's kind of two coaches by and a parent and they're encouraging this kid to jump onto one of these boxes and you watch as he tries and tries and tries again. And the frustration that comes and this, the slight feeling of maybe going to walk away from it or give up. And then he does it again and he's up there and like, it's mirror neurons. Yeah. Right. It's just like, oh, this was so beautiful to watch. Right. It wasn't pretty what you're right. saying. It's there's just a feeling. Like I could I felt it in my chest. I can, you know, feel my smile going all the way up to my yeah. ears and um like a warm feeling mm-hmm. and a feeling of being connected. Yes. Right. If I'm watching the sunset, I feel connected. Yeah. I'm curious what we would want to leave listeners with. I guess I'd want you all to begin asking yourselves, like, how do I know when I'm witnessing beauty? Mm-hmm. How does my body know that? How do I begin to move towards that space in the room where I can just sit back and, and almost watch my client like a sunset and, mm-hmm. and just be there without having to change, right? This curiosity that Kozalino is talking about. Mm-hmm just begin to be asking questions around that. 